The right scientific insights can massively benefit society. But are there philosophical research projects that are particularly likely to improve the world? There may be some directions PhD students or those thinking about a PhD can take that are more likely to have a massive impact. And there's a great resource for PhD and pre-PhD level candidates to find their path to impact. Effective Thesis. We talked about Effective Thesis in a previous episode. They're today's sponsor, and they're a nonprofit organization that helps students and PhD candidates figure out the right research direction or dissertation topic for them, and one that has significant potential to greatly improve the world. Effective Thesis guides aspiring researchers to make an important contribution. If you are deciding your research direction or figuring out your dissertation topic, their personalized coaching could be perfect for you. They help guide you with your dissertation topic choice, connect you to top researchers who give you feedback, and adding to that, they share hard-to-find opportunities like internships, fellowships, and research positions globally that are impactful and great for your career. Also, they do all this for free. You just need to apply. When I was doing my thesis, I'd love to have known about a service like Effective Thesis, not just to give a boost to my career, but also to help keep me focused on one of the most meaningful aspects of research, making the world a better place. Whether you're seriously considering their recommended research topics and need advice on the best fit for you, or want to know how to make your research career more impactful, Effective Thesis Coaching can help. Check out their services now through the link in the description. Welcome to The Philosopher's Nest. I'm Lewis Williams. And I'm Calvin Ostrom. The Philosopher's Nest is a podcast that showcases the work, insights and experiences of graduate students in philosophy. This podcast is generously supported by the American Philosophical Association, the Faculty of Philosophy at the University of Oxford, and Linacre College, Oxford. Welcome to the second special bonus episode of The Philosopher's Nest. We've asked each of our last 12 guests the same question, and we've compiled each of these answers into a single episode. So today, we'll be hearing 12 philosophy PhD students answer the following question. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you began your PhD? To begin, Linz Whitaker, University of Washington. Great question. So what do I know now that I wish I had known before I started my PhD? Uh, I think the main thing that comes to mind is the fact that for folks that are going into a PhD, especially if folks are coming in with interests or questions or research topics that maybe are atypical or are maybe a little bit more applied or want to engage across disciplines and across with different departments, that that's okay. That it's okay to have interests that depart from what typical philosophy does. Because I started off in ancient philosophy and I did Greek and Latin. And then I ended up all the way over now in pet food. And that's okay. Not only is that okay, I think that's something that's really valuable for our discipline to be able to have folks coming in who have interests that depart from, say, what the canon sometimes ask, or sometimes is looking at elements of interdisciplinarity. And not only do I wish I had kind of known that before I started, because I think that would have made me less concerned going in that I would be judged or evaluated for having such a disparate interest to everybody else. But now that it's also something that can be valued and it's something that colleagues will care about, that professors really care about, and that folks want to see you succeed, even if what you're doing is something slightly different, even if, because um, some of the other stuff I do looks at HIV status. So even if it looks like it might be over in a slightly different discipline, as long as there's ways to really make it applicable to philosophy and to unpack the philosophical parts of things, there's still a place in our discipline for those pieces. And it can also be a fun space. Um, so that's kind of what I wish I'd known before I'd begun, that the stuff that I'm interested in is philosophy, can count as philosophy, and that folks are going to be here to support me. And I don't have to try to play a game of making it seem as if I'm interested in elements that, just for me, are not things I'm interested in, 
even though they still are legitimate, very interesting questions in and of themselves. Dario Vicaro, University of Tennessee, Knoxville. So thing that I know now that I should have known <laughs> earlier before moving in, because I'm, I'm in the United States, I'm from Italy. And so, you know, it's, it's been a huge change in my life. And the most difficult thing to realize is how much bureaucratic stuff goes on in, in being a PhD student from another continent. So my advice to anyone who may be interested in pursuing their dream as a philosopher somewhere very far from home is to do your research. Like I have done my research, of course, I'm a researcher, but, <laughs> but you know, there is so much bureaucratic stuff going on, especially in the United States, but I'm sure in other countries as well, that you have to be ready to at least spend a couple of weeks before the beginning of your PhD program to make sure that everything is fine, that you are in a legal status and, uh, and everything. So the, yeah, this is my advice for foreign students specifically. Kara Julie Kather, Leuphana University of Lundberg. So I thought about this long and hard. <laughs> and I think what, what I would have loved to know was how much work there is involved that is not specifically academic work. And what I mean by this is that at the very beginning of the PhD, I found myself very much like struggling with actually putting into words what I wanted to say. And I think like in part, this is obviously like a problem that can be in part solved while like reading a lot more theory and like getting into the vocabulary of things but it is also something that has a lot to do with like confidence and making yourself feel like a philosopher or an intellectual whatever this might mean to you right and kind of like answering these questions of how do I regard myself as an intellectual what does this mean how do I begin to feel like a scientist or like an academic and I, I think that for me, there was a lot of like emotional labor and also a lot of like looking back at my biography, a lot of, yeah, finding music or mu movies that encouraged me, right? So there was a lot of things involved that, that didn't seem academic or that might not seem like they have something to do with your PhD, but for me, they actually did. The short answer is that I would have loved to know that I think there is a lot of very personal work to it that might not on the surface seem to have to do with your PhD, but I think that, that it does or that it can. Logan Mitchell, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Okay, I've got two things. They'll be quick, I promise. So the first is that it's okay to give up on a project. It's okay to give up. I spent so much time on my writing sample and I was so, I wanted to get it published so bad. And then I realized I've changed my mind about what I wrote. I don't think it's right anymore, but I still felt this clinging of like, oh, like, and every time I was writing a term paper, I thought this is, you know, I've got to, I've got to turn this into something that I could publish one day. Cause like time is running out. I mean, this is like, I've been in grad school for like two months, but still like at that time, I just felt this immense pressure to make sure every project, every moment of my time was going to turn into something. And the answer is, the, the, the truth about that is that uh, that's not going to happen, whether you want it to or not. <laughs> so get used to it and get ready and be prepared to let go of a project that you spent 
a thousand. I mean, maybe okay, maybe not a thousand hours, but you spent you know thirty hours on it. You spent hours and hours. So that's one thing. And the the second thing is, this is going to sound kind of blasphemous. Um, you should well, yeah. I, I don't think you should give your seminars a hundred percent of your attention, and I, I don't think you need to give a hundred percent effort. I'm like, my voice is lowering because I'm like, is anyone listening? Um, I'm literally going to be on a podcast. But I think that um, you have to be a human in grad school. And if you let this consume your whole life, if you don't have hobbies, if you don't take care of your mental health, if you don't take, if you don't get exercise and give yourself time to do laundry, go grocery shopping, you're not going to be a good philosopher. You're going to be burnt out. You're going to be tired and you're not going to succeed if you are like that. And so many of us that go into grad school go into grad school because we have that like overachiever personality you got to let that go and you've got to accept there's going to be weeks when you can't really contribute to the discussion great because you're just busy and you just didn't really get the reading or it's just on this topic that's boring i think sometimes it is the best thing for you to do to give yourself permission to not give a hundred percent to school and ultimately i think that means that you'll be a better philosopher because of it Sophie Jaber, MIT. Yes. So this is another good question and a hard question. I think that my answer is I have learned over time not to pretend to know things that I don't know. So I think that this is really important because as a graduate student, this is your time to be a sponge, to absorb as much information as you can and to learn how to be a philosopher. And if you pretend that you know something, you're never going to learn it. And I've had many experiences over the years, even just in in casual conversations. So say at like a, a department event, people are joking or talking about something and you pretend that you know what they're talking about. You, you know, the, you know, the background view or the example or the philosopher that they're talking about. And, and then you go home and you're like trying to Google it and trying to sort of fill this gap in knowledge that you feel that you have. And what would be a lot more efficient is if you just didn't pretend you knew it and just asked in the moment. So I think throughout graduate school, I've gotten better about this and better about sort of viewing this as my time to learn things. And I think a a hugely important part of that is not pretending that you already know them. Kerry Langsdale, University of Nottingham. When I started my PhD, I wish someone had sat down and told me that it was my PhD and that any way that I did it was the right way because it was my PhD. Uh, I think there's a lot of comparing yourself to other people and thinking, well, they did more conferences than me, or they've published more papers than me, or they're teaching more than me, or or whatever, or they're just doing something generally different to me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's your PhD and you can do it any way that makes sense to you. And it's really important. And if you are in some way non-standard or you want to work on a non-standard project or focus on something you feel is a little bit pushing the boundaries or unusual do that right embrace that difference because you will be more comfortable uh, and also you'll be more passionate and you might who knows you might find a way to expand your discipline in some way beyond the boundaries of where people thought that it should normally go so do your PhD the way you want to do it regardless of what people around you are doing Alice Hubbard, University College London. I think the main thing is that people tend to have more than one good idea. 
you do not need to defend. You don't need to cling so desperately to one idea because you are worried it's your only idea. You will have ideas. <laughs> you can let some of them go. Jack Symes, Durham University. Cool. I really like the question. And because I've just started the second PhD, I've been asking myself that one quite a bit as well. I think the most important thing for me was I wish I knew how important it was to write well and think about writing well. I wasn't a very good writer before the start of my PhD. And I think you could run the risk when you start a PhD thesis of thinking that the research is the only thing you should be concerned about. I wish somebody appointed me to two great books, which I recommend anybody who's about to start read. So Drea's English, An Utterly Correct Guide to Clarity and Style, and How to Write a Lot by Paul J. Sylvia. Two great books. And the first one's just one of many great examples of a guide to how to write well, how to write clean, nice, well-flowing sentences. And I think anyone who ends up reading your thesis will appreciate clarity, will appreciate good style. And second of all, how to write a lot. I think it's quite a mammoth task to start a thesis if you haven't written something of that length before. So getting used to writing on a daily or weekly basis and finding out the tricks that people use to be productive in their writing. I wish I read that right from the start so I could make the sort of progress that you end up making towards the end when the deadline starts looming. Levin Guver, University College London. One thing that my supervisor, Mark D'Souza, told me on our very first meeting, for which I'm extremely grateful, is that it might be helpful to attend academic events more broadly than one's own niche subfield. And there's, there's so many reasons that speak in favor of attending academic events more broadly. I mean, for one, you get to meet so many incredibly amazing people. You get to learn from them, from their work, but you also get to discover what it means to conduct your own research. Because when, you, when I came into the PhD, at least, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but I quickly realized that what I wanted to do might not be as feasible as I thought it would be or make as much sense as I thought it would be. And attending these broad range of events opened my horizon to different kinds of possibilities and put me on a better path moving forward with my doctoral studies. Elizabeth Cantalamessa, University of Miami. Yeah, you know, to be a difficult philosopher, I actually want to invert the question and, and say, I felt like I was perfect the way I was when I began. And now I worry that I know too much. And that leads me to almost inaction, a very Dostoevskian um, sentiment, I guess, where now it's, I know too much, I have too many options, and, and I don't know what to do. Whereas before, I I didn't even know, what I, I didn't know about journal rankings, I was just trying to get in somewhere. And so um, I was, in many ways, naive in the right spots. And now I worry that that has led to a type, not pessimism so much, but a little, a more risk aversion, whereas before I, I was more risky <laughs> in what I did and it paid off. And so I want to reclaim that sort of riskiness that I had, I think, in my uh, earlier stage of the career. Darren Thomas, University of St. Andrews. Something that I maybe don't 
I don't know if no is the right word, but something that I've been exposed to in the course of my PhD that I wish I had known before I started was um, actually just exposure to experimental philosophy. I think if I had, if I could do the PhD again, I would have included an experimental component. I actually would have interviewed people about their relationships to work and specifically about their sense in which work functioned as a need or in which they experienced work as a need. So I think I would have included more experimental philosophy had I had the exposure that I do now. Elliot Thornley, University of Oxford. So I guess my advice would be think very carefully. So I think deciding to do a PhD in philosophy is a big decision. I think for many applicants, it's likely to be the biggest decision you've made in your life so far, just because a PhD takes a long time, it's going to have effects on your life for a long time. And the PhD life is sort of very different to a life you might otherwise have. So imagine you decide not to do a PhD, you're going to uh, get a job that uh, probably pays quite well, has a nice sort of work-life balance, gives you the freedom to live where you like. Whereas doing a PhD, you get to sort of live this life of the mind, talk to interesting people, read interesting things. But you're going to have to work quite hard. You're not going to get paid very well. You're not going to get praised very much. Your prospects won't be uh, super great at the end of it. So my advice is think carefully because a PhD in philosophy has some very big upsides and some very big downsides. And it's important to sort of weigh those up when you're thinking about applying. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Philosopher's Nest. You can find our website at www.philosophersnest.com. And if you're a graduate philosophy student who might like to come on and join us for an episode, feel free to reach out to us at thephilosophersnest at gmail.com.